So what is our purpose uh, in life? What is our purpose in life? Perhaps you're one of those people that never kind of looks a little bit kind of beyond tomorrow. Maybe at the end of the week, that's about as far as you get. Perhaps you never dwelt on it for too long. I'm sure, though, you daydream to some extent uh, what might be in five years, ten years, twenty years. But as we see our kind of purposes, what we dream up in our lives, stopped, thwarted as we go through life, or just become a little bit too distant, a little bit too unobtainable. It's very easy, isn't it, to become frustrated. Frustrated at perhaps the lack of progress we find in our careers. Frustrated um, in our, perhaps our our singleness, or perhaps even in our marriage. Perhaps frustrated as we're trying to have children if we're married. Frustrated as we develop our careers and, and work in academia. Perhaps we're studying more to progress more. Well, I think this lovely story of Ruth takes up that question of purpose, but also frustration that we all feel in our lives in differing degrees. We've seen it throughout the story, haven't we? Especially in the life of of Naomi. But behind all of these questions that Naomi has with regard to the purpose of her life, there is a more pertinent question which she kind of lies underneath all that she asks. And the question is, is God good? And therefore, are his purposes good? Will he, can he carry out what he has promised? See, if we believe, as the Bible teaches, that God is fully in control of everything, and even Naomi recognised that in her grief back in chapter 1, which Ed pointed out in his poem, we must also see that our purposes, if he is fully sovereign over everything, our purposes, our dreams are all fully underneath his providential sovereign control. So what are God's purposes for our lives? Well, this is the question that is presented by, I suppose, all of the characters of this book of Ruth, as the story comes to its conclusion in chapter 4. Now, of course, if you remember back, Naomi had her purposes in life, didn't she? That is to be a good wife, to be a loving mother, but with the death of Elimelech, her husband, and Marlon and Kilion, her two sons, back in the first five verses of chapter one, you can feel her frustration, can't you? At the end of chapter one, she returns to Bethlehem and she cries out from her heart, the Lord has brought me back empty. Her purposes and God's purposes were not aligned at this stage. She wanted one thing, God wanted something else. She knew that God was in control. She described him as the Lord. But she didn't recognise that he was good. And had good purposes for her life. Therefore Naomi, whose name actually means pleasant or some translated as sweetie. Returns in chapter 1 and requests to be called Mara. Which means bitter, empty. God's purposes for her life have brought her to a place of struggle and now resentment, it seems. Uh, the Lord has afflicted me, she says in chapter 1, verse 21. The, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And it's this kind of reaction to God's purposes that frame this book. Is God good? That is the question. 
And it may be the question on your heart tonight. Even in the following verse, in chapter 1, verse 22, we begin to see answers to that question, is God good? Because standing right beside Naomi was the answer to that question. Did he have good purposes for her life? Yes, in Ruth. And in the barley harvest, standing right in front of her. Now, it gets to, you have to go through chapters 2 and 3 to see how those answers begin to show themselves. And firstly, Ruth goes out into the barley harvest to get food. And then in chapter 3, Ruth, on the threshing floor, as we saw two weeks ago, finds herself a husband in Boaz. But in chapter 4, we see the completion of these answers to the question in Naomi's life about God's purposes and ultimately his goodness. And firstly, we see the answers to the, uh, God's good purposes in a marriage. And we see that in our first point tonight. And the provision of, of a husband for Ruth in those opening verses. You see, most of chapter 4, as we just heard, is taken up with this marriage. Let's have a look at the few details there to begin with. Why don't you just turn to verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. It's interesting. Remember Naomi's character. Recognise that she, she has good judgment here. Is that it's exactly as she predicted back in chapter three, verse eighteen. Now, the reason the town gated visited because it was a place of business uh, in that uh, the trading floor, if you like, of the ancient world. Go on, uh, chapter one again, uh, verse one. Sorry, when the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, "Come over here, my friend, and sit down." So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our brother, Elimelech. I thought I should bring that matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated and in the presence of my elders. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me. So I will. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. It's a lovely little scene, isn't it? The kinsman redeemer, okay, just to put it in context, is the nearest relative of the deceased um, husband. Uh, and th- th- that kinsman redeemer has responsibilities uh, under God's law in the Old Testament uh, for the desolate dependence here, Naomi and Ruth. So in chapter 3, when Boaz intends to marry Ruth, he knows, as an honourable man, as we've seen throughout the book, um, he must consult the closest male relative to the Naomi's dead husband, that is Elimelech. So he waits at the town gate. And the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, you see what it says? Came along. There's been numerous times in the book of Ruth where these little coincidences seem to just all fall into place. Have you spotted them? Showing that God is providentially in control of All of these small matters of a man walking along to meet him at this town gate. So this kinsman, this nearest kinsman comes along. That is, God plumps in there in the right place at the right time. And and he meets Boaz to do business. Now the first item on the agenda after they all sit down together is this piece of land that belonged to Elimelech, the now dead husband of Naomi. Naomi, of course, would have inherited this land um, as her husband and her sons died. Now, she's left it for many years, it seems, because of the famine. She's retreated to Moab. But now that the famine is gone, it is there. And she has a right to claim its worth so she can farm it. But she can't farm it. She's got no children to do so. 
It was therefore the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer to buy or to rent this land to, in order to redeem the destitute relatives here, Naomi and Ruth. If you want to know more about that, do look at it in Leviticus 25. All the, the kind of kinsman redeemer laws are kind of set out there and their responsibilities. It perhaps does seem strange to us so that the way in which this is purchased. But remember this, you know, we're talking many, many years ago. This is not a kind of free market economy as we know now. It's probably like a few hundred years ago, the landed gentry in this country. If you know anything about that, don't worry. If you don't, it's quite dull. But here in Bethlehem, Israel, okay, land was given by God, distributed out to the families of God's people for them to tend, to look after, to, to have a living off. Therefore, if one of the family members was destitute... The rest of the king, the family, were responsible. This is shown in verse 4 as Boaz speaks to the kinsman redeemer. He says, for no one has the right to do it except you. uh, And I'm the next in line. Now at this point, there's a wonderful kind of tension in the story, isn't there? Uh, The offer of the land is good. Uh, The kinsman redeemer, uh, this other man, whose name we never ever know. Uh, it would be a fool not to buy this land. Uh, but as, as the reader, I, I guess as we've been looking at through this book in the last you know, kind of four or five weeks, we just want to go, no, don't buy it. That's going to ruin the whole story. We want Boaz to go with them. We want them to get together, don't we? Come on, don't do it, please. Verse four, I will redeem it, he said. And the crowd go, boo. It's like a pantomime, this, isn't it? You don't want to do it? No, don't stop. We want, we, we're rooting for Boaz here, aren't we? We absolutely want him to get with, with Ruth. He's been so kind and generous to both Naomi and Ruth. And he loves Ruth. But Boaz, what a guy. Look what he does. He says, you want that, you have it. You have the land. Of course he says that. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, on that day you buy the land from Naomi and Ruth, uh, from, and from the Moabite, Ruth the Moabites, You acquire the haggard, old, dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Now, it was actually clear from the law, if you go back to Leviticus 25, the closest redeemer doesn't actually have to marry Ruth. He doesn't have to take on the care of Naomi, strictly in the law. But it seems, from this culture of the elders who gathered at this gate, that that seems to be the accepted norm. Um, but Boaz is the closest kinsman. Sorry, um, there, there, there was an expectation of that redeeming to happen with the Naomi and Ruth. So what happens? Look at verse six. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, "Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it for yourself. I cannot do it." We can only guess that, but it, but for the sake of his own wealth, it seems he avoids the responsibility. He doesn't want to take on this burden of these two destitute women. And having also the difficulties of another wife, as we can imagine that would have been the case. There are occasions in the Old Testament where Israelites took on other wives, but it was never, if you like, approved of. Uh, There was enormous difficulties, especially the stigma of having a Moabitess as your wife would have been pretty terrible in those situations. But probably we can just assume from this story here alone that he simply just doesn't want to share his wealth with other people. You see, if he were to redeem this field, if Ruth were ever to have a child by him, 
then immediately that would pass on to the child. Economically, it makes no sense for him, you see, to do this. It might endanger his own estate, as he says, and even weaken his family name. The irony is, you never get to know his name. It's weak anyway. So the deal takes place, verse 7 and 8, with the taking off of a sandal. It's kind of common practice, isn't it, down at the old trading floors? I'm sure Don does it. John does it every day, every time he trades and all that kind of stuff. Verse 8, the kinsman said, buy it to yourself, and he removed his sandal. Verse 9, then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are the witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the land, all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabites, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are my witnesses. So despite all the circumstances that go against this being the outcome, Boaz redeems Naomi and Ruth. And what follows is actually kind of a marriage. Uh, It is a marriage. It may not look like a marriage service with the meringue dress and all that kind of stuff that goes on these days. But with the witnesses and the elders present, with the vows and the prayers being offered, this is as close as it gets in the culture of its time. Remember Naomi calling herself Mara though? Yeah, a marriage has happened. But flick flick your minds back. Do you remember? Chapter 1, call me Mara. means bitter. I mean, simply like every one of us here, she's rejected at that point God's loving rule over her life. And she's she's set her own schedule. She's set her own parameters of what it looks like to be blessed by God. Determining her, her own way to happiness, which meant for her, husband, children, prosperity. Naomi, probably like all of us, will delight to appear under God's rule um, over us when it can, coincides with our own. But really, I guess, just like Naomi, we are all those people who have turned our back on God. We are sinners. We are rebels, aren't we? We don't appreciate God encroaching in on our lives. So we think, don't we? We know what's best for us. God doesn't know that. We know even better than God himself, we think. Clearly, that's what Naomi thought. But God gives us many good things, doesn't he? But in his time, right now, we know many good things in this country. We live under a stable government, family, as I guess many of you have. Maybe even marriage is what we're seeing here. See, what you are observing here in the gift of this marriage, yes, Naomi may have been Mara, but she can't say that now. She's been lavished kindness by God. These are kind, loving gifts from God. These kind of gifts from God should not determine our lives, but they are given so that we might not draw ourselves back, so we, sorry, so that we might draw ourselves back to the one who has given them. Now, of course, God has given us greater gifts, as we'll see just in a moment. But we must give thanks for the many gifts that God has given us, even in life itself. For God is the provider of all things. And here, specifically, we see it in the gift of a marriage. So what about us? I mean, even in the midst of turmoil and suffering, we must recognise that the good gifts that God has given us are numerous. These gifts vary from person to person, but here we enjoy, as I've said, government, a stable, an amazing healthcare system. These are blessings from God and they are a reflection of his kind character. 
And if you think right now that life completely sucks, that you've been dealt uh, you know, a bad hand by God, if you like, then look ahead. Because I want you to look, as perhaps as Naomi didn't look in chapter 1, and say that the story's not over yet. Uh, you cannot judge God by what you've experienced so far. Yes, you may feel like Naomi right now in chapter 1, bitter, empty, but your story's not over yet. Trusting God and his good purposes, for his, he is good. And, his sh- and he shows his goodness to us in so many ways. Here, specifically, in this marriage. Oh, you may not, if you're suffering at the moment from some illness, you may never be healed. Uh, you may never get married. You may never have children and be blessed that way. But I suppose like Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, in tears, put your life into the hands of God and trust Him, knowing that He is good and His purposes for your life are good. Easy for me to say? I guess some of you will say no. But God is good and so are His purposes. God's good purposes are firstly seen in a marriage between Boaz and Ruth, but secondly, we're seen in a son being born. We see that secondly, second point, verses 13 to 17. Follow with me if you can. We see a redeemer for Naomi here. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you... um, And who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. So let's think back. Ruth has come from Naomi, uh, from, from Naomi, from Moab. No food. No security. No children. From her first husband, Marlon. But now, God in his kindness has provided everything. Note in verse 14 that the women of Bethlehem praise God. Of course, it's an appropriate response. Just like thanking God for all the things that we enjoy every day. I hope you do that. But the baby, look at it. It's named Obed. Meaning what? Servant of the Lord. That's what the name means. Servant of the Lord. And what a gift from God he was. I hope you can begin to see God's hand gently guiding all of these incidences to bring him to his purpose. Remember Naomi back in chapter 1 verse 9? Why don't you just flip back if you want. Chapter 1 verse 9. Naomi prays that Ruth and Orpah there would go back back home to Moab to find husbands there. That was the place that would be the easy line, the easy place to go. Now God answered that prayer, doesn't he? But not as Naomi wanted, but as God wanted, as he purposed, with a much better outcome. Ruth is married and now has a child called Obed. And once again, the story is pointing us to this providential, guiding hand of God throughout these circumstances. Also notice, have you seen how Ruth's name is never mentioned now? You see that in chapter 4? 
For as the story begins centering, right in chapter 1, centering on the, the, the struggle of Naomi's life, what we're seeing now as we get to chapter 4 is, if you like, the camera pans back to begin to see the whole, the entirety of Naomi's life. And if you like, God finishing now in chapter 4, his work in her life, the life that frames this book. And we see with the birth of this son, Naomi is redeemed. And the woman of Bethlehem prays God for Naomi's redemption is occurring here. God's goodness is bringing Naomi from bitter emptiness to sweet safety. From childlessness, destitute, to safe being a grandmother. In verse 16, see the child in the arms of Naomi. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? If you like, it's the the crowning evidence of God's glory and kindness and goodness. And in verse 17, we see Naomi has a a grandson where before her, the family line of Elimelech was completely severed and broken. Now, it was restored. God has been kind beyond measure. As Naomi looked to the future in chapter 1, her purposes in life, that is being a mother and being uh, a wife had been completely stopped, hadn't it? As a result, she's bitter, she's hopeless. But now we see her Redeemer is in her arms, who will renew her life, verse 15, and will sustain her. Friends, it's not an inappropriate parallel to recognise that God in his kindness has of course provided a Redeemer for us. His name is not Obed, But he was the perfect servant of the Lord. For he died on a cross. In our place to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And our rebellion against God. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? I hope you do. Personally. Intimately. Have you put your trust in him? With every part of your life. Well, if you have, my friends, then know with confidence that God will renew your life and sustain you, as verse 15 says, but for eternity. Now, of course, you may still know pain and suffering and anguish and and bitterness like Naomi in your life. There may be things to come which cause you great pain. But know all the more that God is good and his purposes are good in Christ Jesus, who will renew you. And sustain you through whatever is to come and for eternity. Naomi sat there with Obed in her arms, I guess lovingly staring up at her with a crowd of admirers, with Ruth married to Boaz. And I wonder what she thought at that moment. Do you think she would have thought herself as Mara, bitter, empty? Or do you think she would have described herself, I'm Naomi, pleasant? Sweetie. God had proved himself faithful, not according to her purposes, but according to his infinitely better ones. And the same applies to you and me. See, God's actions in our lives are not yet over. The story's not finished. And keep hold of that fact as you inevitably will face struggles somewhere down the line in your life. There are no promises in this life that pain will go away. We live in a fallen world, but they will one day. 
when your kinsman redeemer comes. Hold on to that. Because the story is not yet done. You may still be in chapter 1. So please note, uh, when struggle comes, note God's faithfulness. He's been faithful to you in numerous ways. Store that up. Remember it. When trials come, recall it. Let the people of God the surrounding you in his church recall those things to you. But ultimately recall them in his word. Keep coming back to him. And when you have a tendency to doubt God's goodness, tackle it with the knowledge in his word that God has been ultimately kind in the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be disciplined to root out that doubt. God is good and we also see that in the provision of a king for the nation of Israel. We see that in the royal line as it begins in verse 17. Cast your eyes down there if you, if you like. Ruth has a son but neither Ruth or Boaz or Naomi at this stage would have, have any idea of God's good purposes for this little child Obed in their arms. The family line was to be royal and what happens as a result of this little Obed's birth answer Israel will get the greatest king they ever knew, King David. Of the list of names that follows, which Lindsay brilliantly read in verse 18 to 22, Boaz gets what position? Honoured seventh. Numbers mean an awful lot in the Old Testament. It's the place of great privilege. As the list spans about 700 years, you can see that a lot of names are missing. But it culminates with King David, the most meaningful figure that could be mentioned to any original reader of this book. See, the writer is showing here that God has provided a great king. A king beyond all measure that they could have ever imagined, King David. He's showing how all of God's good purposes matter and how he should be praised because of that. Think about Ruth travelling to Bethlehem with Naomi. It's hardly a major world-changing decision. She's on this road. She could go back to comfort in Moab with her family, but she turns and she goes with um, Naomi. What an amazing choice. It wasn't a big choice. But God shows his goodness in that finest of detail. That small kindness of Ruth not to leave her mother was like, and I quote here, a pebble in a pool with a winding circle of implications that would not only catch up with Naomi, but also Boaz and Obed and the entire nation of Israel. This is a royal family line. Ruth never knew that her little kindness would be used by God's purposes to do this such enormous things. And Ruth was faithful in that moment, but the results, the end product, was completely up to God. So remember this week. Be faithful. And let God do the work of his purposes. In you. For his glory. Last provision we see. Is verse uh, point three. A Messiah for God's people. We've looked at those names a little bit already. But now some comment on this book. uh, Suggesting that. The story is kind of to commend. A kind of a proactive theology. Some people would say it's described as that. That is God helps those who help themselves. It's that kind of thinking. That people would say this book points us towards. But it cannot be so. Uh, even though Ruth and Naomi took initiative, it was and never is outside of God's good purposes what happens in this story. Remember, that, of course, there was disappointment at first. Human plans not coming to fruition. But now what we see is blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Husband, son, and king. 
So is God good? Are his purposes good? Well, that is what this story is telling us. A Messiah has been given for God's people. God is good and he is kind. This tiny baby Obed would later look out as a grandfather and see David, the king of Israel. He may have even heard him singing of God's goodness in his gardens. I don't know when you, when you think about David, when he wrote the Psalms, just a few kind of books on. Do you think he was, he was thinking of God's kindness? He was thinking of Grandpa Obed and Great Grandma Ruth as he wrote these Psalms? Think about Psalm 36 for a second. How priceless is your unfading love? How high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings? Did you pick up that language? Boaz was a kinsman redeemer and Ruth came under his wings. But Boaz needs redemption himself. And Christ, who died on the cross, is our great redeemer. Under whose wings we take refuge. There's a Messiah for God's people. Now David, of course, was the great king of Israel. The greatest king of Israel. But as Jesus proved to the Pharisees later from Psalm chapter 1, he was great David's greater son. A Messiah for God's people. Christ is, of course, the one who was sent to redeem us from our sins. He lived the life that we should live and he died the death that, that we should die. It is our Redeemer Christ Jesus whose great, 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 whatever it is, Grandmother Ruth, God used in his love in such surprising ways to bring about a Messiah for you and me. He is so good to us. God is worthy to be trusted and even though we have not seen the end of the story of our own lives, we have not seen enough to ignore God and condemn his character. Ruth shows us beyond all things that God's purposes will stand and though you might doubt them right now, maybe you are a Mara right now in your life, there's too much evidence to say that God isn't good. His purposes are good for you and for me. Naomi and Ruth knew their poverty, but they began to understand God's blessing. And it's only, isn't it, when we stand before God in utter poverty, knowing our spiritual you know, just depravity before God, knowing our sinfulness and our inability to do anything about that before a perfect and holy God, it is only then that we see our need, our utter need for a kinsman redeemer. Our utter need for a Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is our purpose in life? Is it to be married? Is that what defines us? That desire? Is it to be really successful at work? Or wealthy? Or well-known? Well-connected? No. Our fundamental priority, our purpose in life, is to be included in the book of life. To be saved by Christ, the Messiah, our kinsman redeemer. Stand before him in utter spiritual poverty, recognising your own sin. Recognising you can do nothing to gain eternal life with him and trust in his gift 
of the kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed on the cross for your sin in your place. And live that knowing that nothing will or can stop God's good purposes for your life. Let's pray. Maybe just a moment um, just to reflect where we are. Perhaps we're a little bit like Mara right now, feeling empty and bitter because we think God has dealt us a bad hand. Maybe we need to trust him more and his good purposes. Or maybe we are like Naomi at the end of the book, recognising God's kindness in so many ways in the provision of a husband for Ruth, a child, a redeemer, Where are we?